Welcome to the Learning Development Project podcast. This is episode 18 of the LD project, and we're going to do it a bit different each day. Usually, we invite an author to tell us about their publication, and then we explore their relationship with LD and what writing means to them. But in episode 15, Helen Beetham turned our questions back at us, which was not only unexpected, but inspired us to expand on these ad hoc answers and use the publication of our co-edited book, How to be a Learning Developer in Higher Education, as a starting point for this conversation today. We are going to introduce ourselves, which is not as easy as introducing other people. My name is Karina Buckley, and I started as a learning developer at Solent University just over 13 years ago, and now I lead the learning design team. The key things that people might want to know about me are that I have a PhD in the archaeology of human evolution. I'm a member of the Aldean Steering Group and an editor at the Journal for Learning Development in Higher Education, and I'm a Principal Fellow of Advance HE. And uh, my name is Alicia Siska. And I usually introduce myself as a hybrid academic, as I combine the role of um, learning developer with two different academic posts in education and history at the University of Plymouth. I have a PhD in American Studies from St. Louis University, and I'm a co-lead of the Journal of Learning Development in Higher Education. I also sit on the steering group of Aldin, and I'm a senior fellow of Advanced HA. And not to forget, we are both co-hosts of this podcast. We are, and we also uh, write quite a lot together and produce other things. Um, So before we start, is there anything else you'd like to share about yourself that you'd like our listeners to know? Um, I think probably the key thing is that I have done an awful lot of writing before and not all of it is academic. I've actually written two novels that have not seen the light of day, probably never will, uh, and also probably around 10 short plays in various states of finesse and um, that's been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed that and I still I still uh, have that little part of my brain ticking over pretty much all the time. How about you? Well, I have no such achievements uh, under my belt. Most of um, my other achievements have been more physical, uh, shall we say. Um, so I have done a few half marathons and a marathon, which almost killed me. So I don't do that anymore. <laughs> but um, in other news, I'm a pretty decent baker and enjoy baking a lot and cooking in, in general. So I'm lo- really looking forward to Christmas now. I am happy to confirm that you are more than just a decent baker. I would I would strongly recommend your baking to other people, if not for the risk of going without myself. So thank you. thank you for those baked goods. Let's move on. We are talking today about our book, which we co-edited, How to Be a Learning Developer in Higher Education. Um, and the first I knew about this was back in July 2022. Um, when I got a text from you while you were off on holiday somewhere in Greece and you um, you said you had this great idea and that you would tell me about it when you got home and you hoped I wouldn't be too um, shocked. I think you, yeah, you, you were worried about my reception, which immediately made me think, what in the world has she come up with? um and um here we are uh down the line so where did this idea come from in the first place um okay um (laughs) it just reminded me of uh recently uh the person that knows me best described me as a raging fire blazing through a forest (laughs) which just (laughs) says uh, a lot of things about how i come up with ideas 
but uh, it was one of those on a very hot day. Uh, I was on the beach in Catalonia, uh, more precisely, and uh, I was listening to a podcast. And uh, it wasn't a particularly remarkable podcast, but I, I'm just addicted to podcasts, so I listen a lot. And this one was about um, uh, how not to get distracted and how to stay focused. And it was um, a conversation with... Um, Shaila Catherine, who who is a Buddhist, and for some reason, the way um, she was talking about goals and how to do things, I just remember this constant how to, how to, how to um, as a phrase. And because I I had been thinking so much about where learning development is today, these two themes or you know th- that phrase how to and 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 learning development somehow cl- clashed crashed uh you know jolted together into something that that gave me an idea oh do we even know how to be a learning developer today and um it's um yeah it sounds and now it doesn't have the same um energy I suppose that it had for me at the moment but it was just this moment this kind of little light bulb where I thought we need to know how to be uh, that role that person that perspective on higher education so uh, I thought instantly to write to my best collaborator <laughs> to see if it makes any sense and to just hold me to it because I will have 5,000 ideas. And if I, you know, if I <clears throat> don't carry them through, they're just never going to see the light of day. So that's basically how it started. And lucky for me, you said, yeah, let's do this. So <laughs> we did it. <laughs> I, I, congratulate myself regularly for saying yes to you and all of your ideas actually I've never regretted any of them um no I was just running back through I've never regretted any of them yet don't change your mind now (laughs) I don't think I knew all of that detail actually that's really interesting how you brought those two things together and it just seems really yeah timely and also surprising that there was nothing previously since that 2011 book so um yeah we've had this long gap of time and there was your light bulb in the hot sun I'm not surprised it was hot and if you're running through a forest it's going to be a very dry one lots of tinder yeah Uh, it's funny you didn't know that detail because I forgot about it but I was looking through my notes um, I ran a little diary on my phone and I went back to to that day and I found some notes and that reminded me this is where it came from but uh, yeah and but the experience itself was quite unique because it's obviously for both of us it's Mm. the first academic book that we put together in the collection with multiple uh, contributors because we from the start we decided we can't possibly speak for the entire community we want to bring um, people in and obviously we have known of particular authors and contributors and those who have published before and we started contacting them and bringing them into this um, um, voice which has so many different uh, the timbers <laughs> to it right so um i wonder how did you find this experience of co-editing the book and also writing your own chapters for it um i enjoyed it on the whole i think it's fair to say it wasn't always um a flawless process <laughs> i hold my hand up to that but um i i enjoyed it and i've learned a lot in doing that I'm glad it was with you because I feel that you were somebody that I understand how you work and um I think we we relate well to each other so that made it much easier we knew where we were both going we knew how to get there um that was really enjoyable that was that was probably the part that I enjoyed the most as well Mm. as seeing this thing take shape uh, was quite amazing. I felt um, 
I felt like all our authors were gathered together and we we had this responsibility for shepherding this thing through. And it was um, that was really exciting. I remember being um, together. Uh, I can't remember when it was, but we were or- organizing the order of the chapters and we had everything laid out on these tables and we were discussing who goes where and how do we group things together. And it, it just became real at that moment. And oh, it was in Exeter, wasn't it? We, it was. It was in because, Exeter because it's kind of our middle point between Salisbury and, and Plymouth, and we so we meet in Exeter, and we we hired this room, and you know we spread these papers on the on the tables, and it was very hands on, very like kind of LD type of exercise. Yeah, structuring the book, uh, rolling. We basically text rolled it. Uh, yes we did yeah we did yeah that's very true um and that was inspired also by one of the podcasts yeah with Dave Middlebrook who told, yeah. told us about text rolling and text it, was, it was funny again you um we 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 met we went to the room and then you said I've had this idea for how we do it's like oh those words <laughs> <laughs> but it worked oh, it really yeah. worked it was brilliant moving bits of paper around and and having my chapters there as well in hindsight um I was um insane to take so much on I wouldn't recommend that to anybody but um it was very satisfying to um almost like claim a little piece of space and say I do know about this Mm. um that was really exciting and say Mm. this is something that I can speak about and I'm confident in and I have things to say Um, and and writing our chapters together as well was um, part of that yeah I think it was important to me as well not to be just editors Mm. but also authors in the book but also I think that you know because we invited other people to this collaboration I think it's only fair if you are you know an equal (laughs) um a member of that community and mm-hmm. by being a member you, you contribute in the same way you understand the process but you understand also how you are being treated in that process so we were kind of insiders outsiders but we weren't just bossing people around or telling them what to do because we had to abide by the same rules that we established for the for the whole book so maybe it made us more I don't know if it made us more understanding or less understanding because we're so bloody productive (laughs) (laughs) there were times I had to say when I was getting my chapters ready I thought oh which idiot said it had to be this number of words or for goodness sake why does it have to be in next week oh because we agreed that I'm the idiot (laughs) there was a real separation at points in my mind between what I'd told other people to do and then thinking oh yeah that's me as well Whoops. exactly yeah yeah absolutely it just it does though it does matter doesn't it it I does mean, i felt it mattered um to us in this experience yeah well, yeah i'm I'm glad i'm glad that we did it the way that we did it i'm glad we we worked on it together i'm glad we had chapters in it and now it is a real thing although I, I love the I love the cover of the book. I have to say, I really love it. But I do believe it was our fourth choice. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, our first choice was a shame that we couldn't uh, um, carry through because it was a, a painting. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I can understand why. It, yeah. It wasn't the one, but yeah, I, I love how these colors come together and. Yeah the broad the, the 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 various pathways kind of merge together into something um that can be seen as as being a little bit more in unison and speaking again different perspectives but one voice mm-hmm. in a way and and in hindsight it now seems um crazy that we could have considered other other pictures oh, it yeah. does work really really well um yeah, yes. although we'll keep that painting one for another book i'm sure but the, the image works really well. So now you've got your book in your hands. What does that feel like? You know what? This may be a bit controversial uh, and you don't know it yet. So it will be surprising maybe, but I haven't been able to look at it yet. I, I felt it. I opened it but I haven't properly looked 
Um, and I think I, because to me, I mean, it's a beautiful product and I love it, but I'm so about the process of writing it that, that to me, that's what matters of writing it, experiencing it, developing ideas, working together, firefighting, you know, all this excitement, all these areas of the process, this is what is of value to me. And now that I have this product, I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> I know it sounds terrible, but um, I, uh, I'm confused by it. As in, you know, it's it's there. And I will, I think I need to meditate on it, just sit with it and, you know, consume it like a raisin very slowly <laughs> in the kind of um, very mindful um, and purposeful and aware and slow way and I I don't think I have had that space yet I feel like it kind of deserves that very special space to do it but I'm still kind of sorting out in my head why you know why I I I posted that picture on social media with me being overwhelmed with with all the books just having them all over me because that's how I kind of felt when they arrived um um, okay, but it means it's done. It's over. I, I think I'm waiting for a new chapter that can be opened with this book so I can keep experiencing and enjoying the process of engaging back with it. But the product itself is slightly, I'm slightly alienated from it, which is a very, very strange thing. Hmm. I can, I can understand that actually. I, um, I have the books there in a little pile I've taken one to work it's on my shelf next to my other books I flicked through I saw my name it's very exciting Kate took a few pictures of the unboxing that was very exciting also <laughs> like yep it's done I, I feel the same I feel the same um it's really exciting to have it and it is beautiful and I I like to you know stroke the cover every now and then pick it up and go yep there it is there it is um also I don't know about you but I had my email from Google Scholar saying it's time to update my references because of all the citations to our paper that have been included in it all right the book has done a thing already (laughs) it's funny isn't it it's really funny because we've spent such a long time um when did we start? Last August, I think. And so, August, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe 15, 16 months from start to finish, maybe a bit more. Yeah. No, not more than that, I think. Because we last the last thing we did, which was the index, that was in October. Oh, the index. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, these things that you don't realise you have to do when you have the great idea of doing a book. Yeah, that was that was an yeah, that was a good learning point. Oh, um, very much so. But yeah, yeah, so we could say fourteen months maybe. That 14, was fourteen months. months of work. Yeah. Yeah. So it was really intense, and yeah. I know you thought about it a lot during that time I did as well it was constantly there something or other was something to be just thought about um and now it has it has gone and we've started another project but it it hasn't got that intensity no not yet maybe (laughs) not yet not yet but um I'm sure it will have a different it will have a different sort of intensity because it's a different thing it's it's an it's a, a new idea and a new set of authors and it's a new goals so yeah it'll it'll feel different but just yeah the intensity of this I think Mm -hmm. having that go now and it's just like well what do we do what do we do with that now yes exactly but yeah I mean there are plenty of things we can do with it and I'm sure we will and our readers will so thinking about it what would you say 
might be the key takeaway point that our readers can well take from the book Hmm. and what kind of impact it might have? I think I want to start really high level and say the key takeaway point is that learning development is a field, is an area that needs a how-to book, that there are ways of thinking about it, ways of doing it, enacting it, embodying it, that need to be thought about and captured and have some boundaries put around them and created. And I think my my message is that this is just the start. So we have, we've done this, we've brought all these chapters together, not to kind of solidify it or petrify it, but to say, here's your starting point. Where do we go from here? Mm. So I would love to see uh, in the next couple of years, another book come out saying, Siska and Buckley, what do they know? This is how we do it. And I'd say, yes, brilliant. Let's have a conversation about that. I mean, obviously they'd be wrong, but still let's talk about this. Um, So I would like it to open something up rather than be the full stop. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah, I think that was one of the most important things for for us, right? Um, From the very design of the book, the very methodology of the book, the fact that we invited so many people to write it with us, to have that conversation already. And then through the internal review process, people were responding to each other's chapters to kind of see not only where those other authors were going with it, but also where they were going with it. So Mm -hmm. there was this kind of constant back and forth. And then when you think about the design of the book and hey, hey, watch it I'm actually opening it steady (laughs) careful it's beautiful Uh, (laughs) we we designed it along these five parts which are supposed to um work as a kind of introduction to a journey right Mm -hmm. a journey in terms of what it means to be a learning developer but a journey that can be entered at any point uh that it doesn't have to be Uh, You know, you don't have to start by reading about theory in learning development, but you can open, you know, and start with part two uh, when it talks about praxis or thinking about becoming established or knowledge making, whatever it is that actually you are particularly interested in or looking for support with. Because I see it as, as a kind of guide, kind of support system for a learning developer who is wondering about a particular aspect of their work that maybe they have not been introduced to or familiar with or haven't met other practitioners who do this thing in this particular way. And when I became a learning developer, no one told me what to do and how to do it. I I kind of always felt like a learning developer in a way because I always cared about these aspects of of student learning when I was an academic, when I was a lecturer, but I had to figure out everything for myself. So I wonder, I mean, I looked at at the previous book, 2011, and it was very helpful, but it still didn't feel like it gave me enough of this kind of toolbox to feel like, okay, this is how I approach my work, or this is how I might think of it, or this is what I might respond to. Usually what I do is I I read something as a recommendation and then I decide to tweak it in a way that works for me or works for my students, etc., which is what we should, I suppose, always be doing. But but yeah, I I think that was my greatest hope for the impact of this book that maybe it would be, first of all, a beginning of that conversation and that's how we ended the book right to open it up rather than to close it but also to be that point of reference or that point of um that sounding board in a way um for both new and and uh, established and experienced learning developers hmm. at least i i hope that everyone could find something interesting in it for themselves even if it's just one chapter. <laughs> yeah, which would still, for me, 
feel like a success if if everybody who picks it up finds one thing they think oh brilliant that's mm. perfect then I think we've done our job yeah. because we were trying to cover um the whole field we were trying to make it accessible to people who are completely new to people that have been doing it for many years to managers who want to understand it to students maybe who want to know what's going on we we wanted to cover an, a lot and we've tried to give us broader view as possible and yeah i hope we've achieved that um let us know listeners um <laughs> we know you're Absolutely. out there so um we'd love to hear anybody's thoughts on that yeah well one thing that obviously we do in it in it well, one thing the major thing we do in it is we're trying to engage with what it means to be a learning developer so you are expecting this question of course from me yeah I will ask you do you feel like a learning developer oh, I was expecting it and still thinking oh here it comes um <laughs> I do I do feel like a learning developer I haven't worked in a student facing role for eight years now um my job title is nothing alike learning developer but I do feel like a learning developer uh, because for me, it's about that collaborative practice, that emancipatory, liberatory practice, working with and for students to open up higher education. I think there's more than one way of doing that. Um, I think I do do that. Um, I, I do do that. I do feel like a learning developer because I am working to open up higher education. Um, practices and demystify it for students so yes even though I know there will be people that disagree with me um, you're welcome to come and have a conversation with me about it I will argue into the ground um, yes <laughs> is my answer I do excellent well then I think it's that's very fortunate <laughs> it, it is it's isn't it it's worked out quite well uh, otherwise that would be odd um <laughs> <laughs> yeah I know I know um yeah as I said people will disagree with me on that but I think for me learning development is is an ethos as much as it is a set of specific practices um and that ethos is really important to all of my work and has been um has been the whole time I've worked in higher education even before I knew that was what learning development was that's been what's guided me and my practice and um how I now lead my team as well um so yeah I think that counts I'd say that counts mm -hmm. but that's the thing with learning development isn't it that it is um it is still not amorphous but it's got these kind of gray edges um mm -hmm. it's porous I think that's probably the best way of putting it um it's got a sense of boundary but they're not rigid or solid mm. certainly not for me I don't think they should be mm. um, in, in a way to me learning development is a bit radioactive so it's a little bit like you know you, there's this <laughs> there's this um you mean there's element. a risk to life <laughs> it's what there's a risk to life <laughs> uh, maybe two old ways of thinking ah like it yes yeah <laughs> Because we are trying to define ourselves as a field and that is important to us because we come with a body of knowledge and we, we come with certain practices and processes and approaches, et cetera, mm -hmm. methodologies. But at the same time, we're open, like we radiate <laughs> uh, onto these other roles, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, someone might not be or might not have learning development anywhere in their role, in their title, might not even have learning in their title, but still feel like a learning developer or feel that the the LD ethos resonates with them and they want to implement it. So in a way, you know, there are probably lots of very unconscious learning developers out, out there. <laughs> yes. And the more conscious ones. <laughs> and which is why it's so problematic and sometimes so frustrating as well to us, yeah, because we keep having to kind of 
explain what it is that we do, who we are, etc., and why it matters. But at the same time, at heart, a lot of people would identify what, with what we do. They just wouldn't necessarily call mm. themselves learning developers. So there's that tension that has been discussed, it's actually discussed in the book, mm. right, between uh, learning development in uppercase and learning development in, in lowercase, depending on whether we see it as a field or whether we see it as a way of thinking. Mm. Um, yeah, I was going to say, if only there was a book to help people understand um, what it was. There is. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we hope. Uh, I hope that we at least just nudge it in the right direction because we're not solving all the problems. We're not answering all the questions and we're not even having that ambition to answer them all. But yeah. it's more about just pushing it just a nudge just a little bit in the right direction or in some direction mm -hmm. <laughs> that helps to um to um answer some of these questions yeah and, and help us identify who we are definitely so this idea of the radioactivity of learning development and i guess you can take that in all sorts of ways the um the risk to old ways of thinking the um the ability to detect it from a distance um mm. is that what learning development as a field means to you or does that capture it or is there any any other way that you think about it yeah um it it is a little bit like that because it's like a tiny speck that can actually have quite a bit of impact mm -hmm. um, because we're usually, I mean, at my university, we're a tiny team, but I feel that we have a very wide ranging impact on, on students and, and we have a lot of value to the institution itself and um, to the ways of thinking about learning and about university experience. And for me, learning development or being a learning development developer is all about having a space and ability to use the space to help students make the most of their time at university and use their potential because there is lots of hidden potential and lots of um, lots of unrealized potential that sometimes just requires just a tiny bit of guidance. And all of a sudden you see it blossom, you see it, you know, come to its 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 full realization. And I sometimes feel, I mean, I it's it may sound a little bit arrogant, <laughs> but boisterous. Oh, that's what we do. We we help students realize their potential. But I want to believe that we do, and I see these light bulbs. You know, all the time uh, when I talk to to students or you know in various uh, engagements, and um, so yeah, I think that's probably what definitely guides a lot of learning developers. But again, it's such a broad, <laughs> broad mission that you know a lot of lecturers, a lot of other practitioners could say the same. Uh, absolutely. Um, but I think because we're so student-centered and so um, unburdened by all these processes, such as marking, for example, or mm -hmm. having this sense of control or dominance over the student, even those, you know, obviously there are some power relations here and it, we're never going to be completely equal, but we're, we're trying <laughs> as much as possible yeah, to, to work behind the scenes and, and, and facilitate that that uh, self-development of students, I mm -hmm. suppose. That's kind of, it, it, it's it's a set of loose ideas because it's just so difficult to to grasp it mm -hmm. and not, not to grasp me, but to package it into something that, you know, can just come with a very simple definition that everyone can mm -hmm. um, align with. Yeah, which has been uh, historically a problem, but also a benefit in that it does allow for so many people to promote these kinds of supportive and open and liberatory practices I guess. Mm. yeah but 
I think what we really get excited by when we talk to our guests on the podcast uh, is writing. And so why don't we talk about writing? Because we always tell everyone that we strongly believe that learning development in particular as a field uh, needs to have more writers, more publications, if we are to strengthen and develop as a as a field. So I'm glad you already mentioned that we're waiting for another book to come in a, <laughs> maybe a couple of years time that will maybe respond to ours and we can have that conversation. But that basically it maybe inspires others to write more and to publish and to keep that conversation going because I know these conversations happen all the time but they're not necessarily they 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 do not materialize in in publication so so we definitely feel strongly about it but um that requires writing that requires actually sitting down and typing those words or uh, writing them down and don't think that many people use a pen and pen or paper anymore. But let's say typing them up, etc. So let's talk about it. What's your relationship with writing, and what is it to you? I love writing. I love all sorts of writing. I always say that I think best when I've got a pen in my hand. Mm. Um, it's like the thoughts come out on the paper. Um, I. I love that feeling where I I experience that flow of writing and um, I'm into it and I know what I want to say and it just comes out. For me, that's the most satisfying. It's the most satisfying thing that I can do. Um, I have always enjoyed writing. It's just been something. I remember saying to my mum when I was uh, very small, was probably six or seven, I said I wanted to be an author. When I was older. <laughs> and you are. Yeah, I am. Uh, so that's really exciting. I achieved my childhood dream. Yay. Um, <laughs> yeah, so writing is is essential to me. It, I, I feel it's really part of who I am and um, part of my identity. It's something that I'm recognised for by other people. Um, and I feel it's... It's something that I can do as well. Um, so yeah, I I I like it. I mean, I think I'm not alone in that. I'm pretty sure you have similar positive feelings towards writing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of of course, absolutely. Which is why I write. I think writing is very tricky, um, and it's easy to have a love and hate relationship mm-hmm. with writing because. It's a challenge, right? Because it's so much, I mean, in our heads, well, in my head, at least, everything seems to make sense. But then when you want to put it on paper and make sure that it makes sense to someone else, obviously you come across or against all of these challenges in terms of how do you communicate it in the most effective way. Um, so, So that's always an issue, but I think more, what I've experienced in the past when I didn't write um, was not even that, was not even how to communicate my ideas, but it was that I felt that I didn't have anything to communicate. Mm-hmm. It was that kind of, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm a b- strong believer in what um, Edmund Burke called uh, at some point epistemological modesty, as in, we don't really know that much about life. We're hopelessly <laughs> wrong most of the time about most things in life. And I never felt that I had the right to, you know, say mm. things that are not right. <laughs> that was just too much uh, of a, <laughs> I don't know, even hubris in writing, as in, you know, you, you kind of, take on that responsibility for expressing unfinished thoughts oftentimes fragments of imagination you know a little bit here a little bit there and you're trying to string it together into something that that works and then you have to assume that someone will be interested in reading it uh, because they believe that you have something to say and I think for me for a very long time it was as a student and then as a 
um, postgrad uh, or after I, I finished and I started working, it was just too much, you know, responsibility to bear. So I, I at some point I just stopped writing. There were just too many barriers to it. Mm. But what I discovered once I did, <laughs> and what I, once I did start writing, was that um, writing was a form of liberation for me, even from all these self-limiting beliefs about what writing is, because I started to feel that through writing, I can express so much more than I can express through talking. You know, it, it, it might have something to do with the fact that I am, you know, English is my second language and my experience with expressing myself when I talk is that, you know, people react in various ways. There are people who are very happy to hear various accents and etc. But there are some people who, you know, you instantly see that kind of veil dropping between them and you. And there's this, you know, you know, the triangle of sadness on the forehead. You, you see the, the eyebrows <laughs> crunching and, you know, you see people's eyes change because, it's like there's an effort in them to understand you and it ruins everything for me as a speaker because I feel like it's not, you know, whatever I have to say is not necessarily taken at its value, but it's filtered through all of these different maybe assumptions or um, all these veils that <laughs> happen between us and it's, it doesn't happen in writing. You know, I write something and it's words on the page and people can't hear my accent or, you know, people don't know who I am and they they just interact with the words. So these words all of a sudden have this tremendous value and and that's liberating for me. And I when the more I do it, the more I want to do it. It's like this self-perpetuating cycle of empowerment. It's just very empowering mm. to me. Oh, and then there's also this other layer to it. So um, when I speak, you know, words don't often come out the way they sound in my head. Somehow my tongue manages to distort them or my brain chooses the wrong ones. And the worst is that most of the time I'm actually acutely aware of it while it's happening, which can be very, very frustrating. And I know it's not something particular to me. You know, deep introverts, neurodivergent people, shy people, they often say the same. They struggle, you know, to get the right words out in the right moment and make sure that it, it sounds okay. But when I write, oh, it's a different world altogether. I can take my sweet time choosing the right words. I can come back to them and change my mind maybe even about them. I can carefully shape my sentences I can craft it all so it truly expresses what I'm trying to communicate. And um, it's not really about perfection. It's making the most of what human language offers us as a way of establishing relationships and conveying ideas. So I really value that time, that pause that writing offers. In a way, writing stops time. It's magical. That was um, spine tingling. I like that. I, I hadn't realised that you hadn't written for a while because I stopped writing as well. And it occurred to me as you were talking, what I didn't make clear was that although I've written a lot and love writing and considered it to be a part of myself, that was not academic related writing. None of it. It was all, yeah. it was this huge creative burst that I had that lasted several years and then I just stopped. I wrote every single day for years without fail. And then I just stopped and I felt mm. bereft. It was really weird, but it was almost like there was nothing I could do about it. And I thought, if I'm not a writer, who even am I? It was so fundamental. I thought, I'm not writing, so I'm not anything. I don't know who I am. And then you said, do you want to write a conference paper with me? And I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm free. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and then that just brought out all of this and it's like oh okay right this is the writing 
that I'm doing now. This is it. And this writing is successful and this writing I enjoy and I can do it. And I think what is most important is that I'm not doing it by myself. And I said at work uh, just the other day, um, we were talking about the book because I obviously made all of my team look at my book and admire it. And um, and I said, yeah, it's amazing. Um, you know, we've done all of this stuff in the last couple of years. I'm like, oh, yeah. What about before that? No, no, I didn't really write anything before that. I wrote a paper in 2015. And then I started writing again in 2021. Mm. And that's astonishing. It's just, again, another huge burst. And I think um, it's like the time is now right for this to happen. I feel ready for it. All that preparation of writing. And now now I feel, yes, I can do this. Mm. Yeah. And it's interesting how these different experiences yeah. have mm-hmm. such a profound impact sometimes and, and can be small things. I mean, you didn't say why you stopped writing, but I know that I stopped writing because of a very difficult peer review <laughs> that rejected uh, a piece because I had been publishing and then all of a sudden I had this really unpleasant experience and uh, I started doubting myself and that combined with some personal uh, trouble and some you know difficulties in my personal life just kind of gave me in a way an excuse to shift mm-hmm. my attention to something else and decide no, this is not for me, you know, what am I trying to prove here? Um, Everything has been said already anyway, right? (laughs) Coming back to that epistemological modesty, you know, I I, clearly, it's not necessary. Let's move on to, you know, practice. And then I got immersed myself so much in teaching and just really developing my teaching practice as a as a kind of escape from that feeling of failure that, you know, I, I failed academically uh, and uh, or as a researcher, as a, as a writer. And therefore now I'm going to excel as a teacher and, and, and be that kind of, you know, pedagogic marvel <laughs> uh, instead. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, it's really interesting that there are so many formative experiences that mm-hmm. can change uh, our relationship to writing. Yeah, mine was exactly the same. Just another rejection. I was like, well, I can't do this. And I look back at that now and I think, well, could you have tried harder? Yes, you could try harder. You can do better. You can do more. But at that point, I just thought, no, I cannot do this. And it was Mm. just, no, I won't do it then. Yeah, 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 exactly. And, you know, at least you had the rejection. For me, it was just... um... A difficult um it wasn't even a rejection it was uh, you know I, they invited me to resubmit but I, it was just so difficult mm. to face the fact that i have to rewrite it and change everything that well not, not nearly everything <laughs> a lot of my thinking that it was just too much and i i suppose there could be a little bit of an ego there i wasn't prepared to you know respond to it mm-hmm. constructively because we should always respond constructively and i can do it now and i have done it i've mm-hmm. been rejected and responded constructively and then i got accepted but at that point maybe i wasn't ready for it and you know there's time for everything and we just have to kind of let ourselves Go with the flow, right? Yep. <laughs> it will come round again when when you're ready. I, Absolutely. I believe that, yeah. <laughs> One of the things, though, that I've most appreciated about our writing together is that you take writing very seriously, which I respect. Um, just as an aside, I will never forget having a 15-minute argument with you about the inclusion or not of the word with in a sentence, I mean, that was just, I was in that argument thinking, is this happening? Yes, it is. Of course it is. Just go with it. (laughs) Obviously, you won that as well. And you were right. But let's move on. Um, I keep apologising for my pedantry. (laughs) Never. It makes me stronger. (laughs) But what I most appreciate about you, the way that you take writing so seriously is that I have encountered so much writing about writing since we've been writing together. Um, Amazing writers 
who know so much that has just opened things up for me or given us new ideas and new ways of thinking about things, looking at things. Out of all of these people, there are so many. Do you have a favourite book or an author about writing? I probably do, but it would be such a shame to pick just one. So I'm just going to mention a few, which, you know, I can mention in the middle of the night if you wake me up and I had been drinking all day, which I don't do, but just fantasizing about (laughs) such a scenario. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I think the first first book ever about writing was The Elements of Style um, by... Um, Strunk and White Mm -hmm. and I was introduced to it when I was doing my PhD in the United States and um, it's just such a marvelous book tiny little tiny small book but I feel like it has everything that is possibly needed to develop a good style so Mm -hmm. they just completely nail it so I always go back to it as a a kind of excuse me classic that I just love and um, maybe there have been I don't know what kind of um, status it has now in in the writing community and uh, among authors who write about writing but I I have a soft spot for it, let's say. The second one that was really impactful on me was Stephen Pressfield's um, War of Art. Uh, And uh, to be honest, it's like the best butt kicker I've ever known. And, And it changed my attitude to how I think about things such as writer's block or blocks to writing or finding excuses for not writing etc and there's this one quote because um pressfield calls writer's block or not writing a form of resistance or or even self-sabotage and he talks about how you know the 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 pernicious aspect of it and of procrastination in general because let's call it what it is right (laughs) is that it it can become a habit and then he talks about how we don't only put our lives on hold today but we put them off until our deathbed (laughs) and and when I read read it I was like oh my gosh it really is that right because day after day I have been putting things off I mean I I've been wanting to write this one book that would come out of my PhD uh, dissertation and it was always the next day, the next day, the next day, the next month, uh, the next year. And well, um, 15 years on and it still hasn't happened. So so he's got a point uh, that uh, procrastination, unfortunately, has very long and wide ranging ranging impact. So I try not to do it. And I try, I hate excuses in general. I, I'd rather say, I haven't done this. I'm sorry. Then give a person five very legitimate excuses of why I haven't done it. They they don't care. It hasn't been done. And I shouldn't care. It hasn't been done. I'm only hurting myself. So I'm a bit hard on myself in this way. But um, so that's Pressfield. Um, massive, massive impact on me. And then um, I really loved William Zinser's On Writing Well, because he talks about style and he, he talk, talks about caring about the reader and just not making assumptions when you read. And I, I thought it was also a very impactful book on me. And then there are books which are much more almost um, technical, as in they really give you the tools and tell you how to do things. So Jolly Jensen, write no matter what brilliant brilliant book with also a very short book but has some uh, lovely ideas in it and you know there are people like uh, Sylvia uh, what's his first name forgot gosh and he uh, <laughs> he writes about how to publish a lot how to write a lot for publication is it how to write a lot yes a practical guide to productive academic writing yeah and he comes from the psychology perspective mm-hmm. but it doesn't really matter again he's just he's sharp he's funny he's to the point and he also changed the way i i think about how to write well and how to be productive in that endeavor and also more practically about 
publishing and how to think about the publishing process, etc. So these are kind of, I would say, my key influences. Mm. How about you? Oh, everything that you said, because I've come to these people through you. <laughs> um, I think my first experience of any kind of structural method in writing was from Rowena Murray. Uh, so that that really worked for me, this idea of immersion and focus, I think I found really, really helpful. Um, but also the idea, uh, and the moths, bird by bird. Oh, yes, just yes. Doing just yes. a bit, a bit, a bit, a bit, a bit, a bit. Because um, you yeah. can immerse and you can write loads or you can chip, 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 chip yeah. away. Yeah. You still get it written. That's the key thing. So for me, it's about that, the production of the words and um, getting things down on paper. Because if there's stuff on paper, you can play with it. That's mm. the key thing. I, I always used to say that to students. You can't edit what isn't there. I would yeah. always rather edit than create. So just get stuff down. Mm. Write Absolutely. badly, make it better. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, she's the one who talks about shitty first drafts, right? Yes. Uh, Anne Lamott, yeah. She's That's funny amazing. as well. So <laughs> reading her is, is a joy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and of course, I would. I mean, I think we would be remiss if we didn't mention all the guests we've had on the podcast because right. I feel like we've learned from all of them. I mean, Trevor recently was just amazing with his guides to writing as well and his approach to writing and he's a prolific writer himself and yes. writing on such a range of topics it's uh, incredible right? <laughs> yeah he was inspirational just the way he he identified so strongly with writing but also mm. Celia Whitchurch uh, mm. she um she said well you know I'm probably not going to do any, any academic writing anymore so I'll do creative writing instead it's like mm. yeah I have to write I'll write something yeah that's inspirational and then we could probably mention all the other i all mean the most most people i mean everyone inspired us in their own mm. ways and every time we do a podcast and we talk about writing we're like oh okay let's let's try this or sometimes i someone says something and i try it with my students and sometimes it works really really well and i feel like oh that was a brilliant brilliant inspiration mm -hmm. sometimes it doesn't because because uh you know because it doesn't but you still have to try it because Absolutely. uh how will you know that it does or doesn't apply mm -hmm. so i think this podcast has um really enriched our understanding on of so many things including ourselves and how we work and uh, how other people work and how we re mm -hmm. relate to each other in a way yeah yeah i've learned loads and i think what i've most appreciated about it is the way that it has made writing much more of a, a discipline for me in its own right um mm. so writing isn't just that the product it's not just a task um it's it's become part of my social identity in a way that it wasn't before or hasn't yeah no, it hasn't been like this before. And I think that that's been transformational for me and, and doing this podcast as well and inviting people on purely to talk about writing has, it's been revelatory in the way that people, even the ones who claim they don't like writing, they still like talking about it and they still have things to say. Mm -hmm. I think that's just so intriguing about the compulsion to communicate and to express and to think and to share uh, yeah. is common to everybody however they feel about the actual process of doing it absolutely i think uh hannah Arendt said something it just reminded me of that process of writing and process of creation and freedom or her definition of freedom has something to do with uh freedom being a meaningful performative act and writing is that is that meaningful performative act where you um create something and allow others to interact with that something, with that product. Uh, and it's something new where you, in a way, create a space for yourself and you can discover and rediscover yourself and make possible new beginnings. And I think that this is the the, the beauty of it. Rather than being seen, seen as a constraint, it can be mm -hmm. uh, that liberation. 
I've I've really enjoyed this conversation because um, it just echoes my experiences of the last two years. I feel we we'd known each other for a while anyway, but it's through writing together that we've really come to know each other and become friends. And this conversation's only been another another hour, but it's it's just another hour of getting to know you better and understand how you think and what's important to you. And um, that's all because of writing and. I think that is that is one of the key reasons why it's so important to me um, and what I value about it is what else it has brought me in my life. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> nice. So we could say that writing brings people together, uh, which is not a bad thing. It's not insignificant. I think it's a very important element of it and, and worth considering so yeah I think sometimes we have people asking us about writing and how to write and you know how to overcome certain issues when it comes to writing and we would probably now not hesitate to say well find a good writing buddy <laughs> a writing partner yeah. who you can create with who thinks maybe differently about some things but similarly about others who has a similar work ethic but maybe different ideas and don't look for that similarity mm -hmm. but look for where you can complement one another and challenge each other but at the same time have the same values because I think that's what probably makes us work because we have the same values and the same yes. approach to work and and we don't disappoint each other <laughs> we deliver yeah and we do what we commit to but we do have the, a range of thinking about ideas so we do challenge each other and we do uh, maybe quibble over a word one word <laughs> because <laughs> it makes sense and <laughs> it has an impact on on how we think and and how others interact with our work so mm. yeah I love this conversation too it's it's amazing what what you can discover when you when you talk about writing so before we finish, we always ask our guests if there's anything that they wish we had asked them and uh, that they wanted to share with us their thoughts. So I'm going to ask you, um, is there anything you would like our listeners to know before we finish? Well, indeed, there is something, which is our uh, annual stats for the podcast, because we have just received oh, yes. uh, a little wrapped <laughs> from Spotify and it's just about Spotify so obviously not everyone listens on Spotify some people listen on uh, Apple or straight on Anchor so um, it doesn't tell us everything but it tells us something and it's, it's quite exciting so when I look at this wrapped it tells us that um, the top episode for us this year was Ursula Wingate's episode, mm -hmm. uh, bringing genre pedagogies into academic literacies, which is really interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was streamed um, around 70% more than uh, an average other episode. 76% of all our listeners discovered us this year. Uh, which is great. It means we're Fantastic. growing and becoming mm -hmm. more uh, uh, visible. Um, but the episode, the one episode that brought in most of our new listeners was Helen Beatham's episode oh. on designing for a hopeful future. That was a great uh, episode. So, yeah, 19% of new listeners started with this episode. And uh, it was also the most shared episode uh, mm -hmm. Apparently, uh, we were streamed in 13 countries this We've year. We've international. That's very Absolutely. exciting. <laughs> the most listeners we have in the UK, in the Netherlands and in Australia. Fantastic. Well, hello to you all, our international listeners. Thanks for joining us and being here. Absolutely. Hello. <laughs> and uh, yeah, our listeners definitely tell other listeners and their friends about us so apparently 73 percent uh shared a direct link to the podcast thank you very That's much amazing. everybody please keep oh, doing that you. spread the word <laughs> yeah now about the growth of our podcast mm. so we had an additional 285 percent of streams 
it's like a threefold growth, which is fantastic. That's incredible. We had the same growth in followers, 235% more followers. We have created 180% more minutes <laughs> than last year. And look at this. We're a top 10 podcast for 60 fans. We're a top five podcast for 45 fans. And we're number one podcast for 23 fans. <laughs> yes. And we love you all. All of you. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, it's just just amazing. We, I, I'm, I'm flabbergasted. I love it's these. It's amazing. Um, yeah. And may I just point out, this is another one of these things where you said, I've had this idea. <laughs> and I said, yes. And again, <laughs> so grateful that you had the idea, shared it with me, and I had the sense to say yes. <laughs> I like how sensible you are. <laughs> me too. <laughs> What will be writing next? Ah. <laughs> well, we're already writing it, but I think we should keep it a secret still. And That's it will it come is. out in due course and it will be great. <laughs> so with that little promise and, uh, and uh, with a big thank you to all our authors and contributors to this volume, which started our conversation. All I think of whom have been amazing it. and brilliant. Awesome amazing yeah and we loved it and uh we hope that they found it uh, also a positive experience and if we call them into another collaboration they will gladly say yes <laughs> <laughs> but also i suppose this is a good moment to thank our listeners too because this podcast would not exist without our audience without people who engage with it who who uh, write back to us. Uh, we love hearing from everyone. It's always such a okay. thrill to receive anything. Yeah, and, it and is short wonderful. Notes, yeah. Absolutely wonderful. And and seeing, you know, these uh, numbers uh on the <laughs> on the statistics, yeah, for 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 the podcast and how they grow and um and how many how many people listen. It's just 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 wonderful. And it's not because uh, this strokes our ego which it does obviously but because it feels like actually you know we have a low mission here we want to talk about the scholarship that is important to learning development and to develop it by talking about it as well and um, it feels like if it can have just a little bit of impact on on LD that's worth doing so join us next year and um help us build the field of learning development further absolutely and in the meantime have some downtime <laughs> over the upcoming holiday season bye <laughs> yay